That's one of those tunes that no matter what the words said, it would just move you to hear it. It's gorgeous. There was a day when America legislated against sin. When its people wept, mourned, and repented because of sin. However, today we condone sin. We pass laws to approve it. We laugh at it. And when I say we, I'm including many of God's own people. We have forgotten the seriousness of sin. We have forgotten what sin is and what its consequences are. And so today I want us to think about that as we continue the SOS series. Let's think about the seriousness of sin. I would like you to open your Bible with me to the book of James, the first chapter. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin is serious. It is serious to society, it is serious to families, it is serious to individuals. Above all, sin is serious to God. I'd like for us to begin today by asking the question, what is sin? Because we live in a day when the definition of sin has been lost. What is sin? Is there such a thing? Well, even some psychiatrists, like Carl Menninger, a number of years ago who wrote a book about sin, recognized that there is such a concept, even in a secular world. Now, they would define it differently than we might from the Word of God. But what is sin? Well, sin is not the same as temptation. James clarifies that for us. It is one thing to be tempted. Temptation can be resisted. When it is not, temptation does then lead to sin. Sin is defined in a number of ways in the Bible. Let me just suggest several of them to you quickly. One is that sin is error. James 5 verse 20 says that a sinner can be saved from the error of his way. The word error is a Greek word from which we get our English word planet. We call these heavenly bodies planets because they move around the solar system. That term was not selected haphazardly. They, they were seen in the telescopes wandering in the heavens. And so this term was applied to them. They are wandering around the heavens. Sin is wandering. It is error. It is forsaking the right path. Secondly, sin is omission. 
Again, James says, to the one that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. So sin can be omission of something that we know to be right. It is failure to do what is expected. Thirdly, sin is lawlessness. John gives us this definition in 1 John 3, verse 4. Sin is lawlessness, he says. In other words, it is defection from God's righteous standard. It is to live without restrictions from God upon one's life. It's lawlessness. Fourth, 1 John again, chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Sin is unrighteousness, or unrighteousness is sin, actually. In other words, sin is the absence of what is right. And finally, the word sin that we commonly see in the New Testament is a word that means departure. Harmartia is the word. Literally, it meant in its origins to miss the mark. And it was a word that an archer might use regarding a shot that he would take at a target. And because of something being wrong with the arrow, perhaps the feather was not properly placed or the shaft was a bit warped, it would miss the mark. That is the word that God uses by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to define sin. It means the mark, the target is out there, and we are, as it were, shot at it and we miss it because of something that is warped and wrong inside of us. A definition of sin might be this. It is the lack of conformity to the character of God. Sin is any lack of conformity to the character of God. <clears throat> A little girl proudly announced to uh, her mother, I'm like Goliath. I'm nine feet tall. Her mother looked down at her and said, Well, honey, what makes you think that? The little girl replied, Well, I made a ruler and measured myself with it, and I'm nine feet tall. You see, that's what man does. He says, I'm okay, but the problem is he's made his own ruler. You see, sin is any lack of conformity to God's character. That's the ruler. It really makes very little difference how we define sin. It makes little difference what categories we put it into, because ultimately sin is measured against God. Sin is any lack of conformity to the character of God. The Bible speaks of it in three ways. It is a state. It is a position that we have before God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 speaks of us being dead in sins. There's a position that we inherit from our great-great-grandfather Adam. He passed it down to us and to every generation preceding us. And we pass it on to our children. It is a state that we are born into. Just as we are born by our natural parents as citizens of whatever country they're a part of. In our case, most of us, the United States of America. And that is our state 
That is our standing in the world. We are citizens of the United States. So when we are also born from our parents, we inherit a spiritual position, a spiritual state, a standing before God, and it's said to be in sin. Now the proof of that is seen in the fact that the Bible also describes us as being sinners in nature. We were by nature, says Paul in this same text, the children of wrath. We were by nature the children of wrath. And so sin is not merely a state or a condition that we're born into. It is a nature. It's something inside of us. It is a capacity or an inclination that is inherent in us from our birth to sin. And that leads to the third way the New Testament speaks about sin. It's a position or a state. It's a nature an inclination, it is a deed. It's an act. We act out what we are by our natural birth. Because we are sinners, we therefore sin. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't apply that we become sinners because we sin. It's just the opposite. We are sinners, therefore we sin. Our nature is to sin. And so Paul says in this same text again, we lived in the lusts of our flesh. What is sin? It is any lack of conformity to the character of God, and it is the curse of the human race. Why is sin so serious? Let me give you two reasons why it's serious. Because of what it does to us and what it provokes in God. What does sin do to us? In the first place, sin deceives us. Hebrews 3 and verse 13 warns about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin promises us certain things, but it does not deliver. Sin says that we can be involved in this activity or we can have that goal that's wrong, and there are no consequences to it. It's a lie. And we soon find out that we've been taken. Sin implicates, it endangers, it brings bondage, it wastes, it erodes. Sin hardens the heart. It tempts, it tantalizes, it entices, but it does not deliver. It deceives, it is by its nature deceptive. Sin says, if you will just do this, then you'll be satisfied. Sin says, if you just involve yourself in this, it'll be enough. But you're never satisfied with sin. You never have enough with sin. It deceives. The picture that is used by James of enticing is the picture of a fisherman. Some of you went fishing a few weeks ago up on Lake Mille Lacs. Had a wonderful day, not many fish, and I didn't even go. I can't be blamed for it. Some of you were skilled fishermen. You knew exactly what bait to put on there, what lure to use. You knew what depth you were fishing at. You knew the kind of fish you wanted. 
And somehow that day they just weren't biting. They were smart fish. They were not enticed onto your hook. That's the picture that James uses. He says that, that lust and sin put the bait on the hook. They hold it out there for us. And it says, oh, if you'll just try this, you'll enjoy it. Oh, if you just have some of this, you'll be satisfied. And if we take that hook, we are fooled. Sin deceives. That's why it's serious. Secondly, sin disgraces. Righteousness exalts a nation, we read earlier, but sin is a reproach or a disgrace to any people. Why is sin serious? Because it disgraces the sinner. It brings shame and guilt. Sin ruins reputations. It tarnishes names. It makes people ashamed to be out in public. Ask some of the politicians or other leaders of our area who have been caught in sin in recent months. Look at your own record when you've been caught. When I've been caught in sin. Sin disgraces. It's serious. Thirdly, sin destroys. It's serious because it destroys lives. It's serious because it destroys families. It's serious because it destroys whole nations. Nations become footnotes in history because of sin. The United States is on its way there right now. Because of sin, our nation is quickly losing its leadership and its greatness in the world. And we should not be surprised should there come a day when the United States will not only be a second-rate power, but will not even matter in the course of history in the world. Relegated to nothing more than a footnote in that time, and the reason because of its moral collapse and decay. Sin destroys on every level. It destroys character. It destroys people in their vocations. It destroys people in their friendships. It destroys them in their loves. Sin destroys. That's why it's serious. Then finally, sin damns. James says that sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Why is sin serious? Because it damns the soul. It brings judgment from God. Ezekiel 18.3, the soul that sins shall die. God doesn't delight in that, but that's the way it is. That's the moral justice of his universe, based upon his character. The soul that sins dies. Sin is serious. But we're inoculated to it. We watch it on our videos. We tune it in on our televisions. 
It's made a joke of and we laugh about it. And no longer do we take it seriously. Although it destroys, it disgraces, it deceives, and it damns. Sin is no joke. It's time to stop laughing. Because of what sin does to us. But consider also what sin provokes in God. The Bible says that God is angry with sin. Psalm 7 verse 11 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. This is the response of his holiness to that which is antithetical to him. It offends him. God hates sin. Psalm 45 verse 7. He loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Do you know the primary reason that God hates sin so? It is because of what it does to us whom he loves. God hates sin because he sees what its fruits are in the lives of people for whom he has great compassion. God is angry with sin. God hates sin. God judges sin. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Why is sin so serious? I'll tell you why. Because of what it provokes in God. It provokes in Him anger and hatred and judgment. How can sin be escaped? Sin, after all, is a crime requiring justice. Sin is a debt demanding payment. Sin is a stain necessitating removal. How can sin be escaped? Sin is so serious that someone must die because of it. That's how serious it is. Every sin demands death. Either the death of the sinner or the death of the Savior on behalf of the sinner. If you want to understand the seriousness of sin, all you have to do is to think back to the cross that was on Calvary on that Good Friday where the Lord Jesus Christ hung, nailed there, bled, suffered, and died. That tells us the seriousness of sin. Sin demands death. It is a wonderful occasion for God's love to be demonstrated. That's the marvelous thing. Despite the fact that it demands death, it's also an occasion for God to step in and to intervene and to show and demonstrate His love for man. For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us in that truth. How can we escape sin? By coming to the Savior. Sin is so serious that God has provided the only release from it. And he has provided that at awful personal cost. 
the death of his only son. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, escape from death and sin has been provided for. Justice has been satisfied. Payment has been made in full. The stain has been removed. Sin can be escaped. But there are some people that Jesus will not save. Did you know that? Despite the fact that he died for sinners on the cross, there are some people that Jesus Christ will not save. A Christian physician received his training in part at the Mayo Clinic. He was a Christian. And after that training, he gave this illustration sometimes when he talked. He said, when I was in residence at the Mayo Clinic, a lady who had suffered for many years came for an examination. We found that she could be helped through surgery and proper medication. Before leaving the clinic, she suggested that her husband have a checkup, although he appeared to be in good physical condition. At first, he refused, saying, I'm not sick, I'm perfectly healthy, I don't need a doctor. Does that sound like any men you know, ladies? But at his wife's insistence, he finally yielded and received the tragic news that he had a cancerous tumor in his chest, which would soon end his life. Since it had not affected any nerves, he experienced no pain, yet he was a dying man. Many sinners are likewise deluded into thinking they are spiritually healthy when actually they are inflicted with the deadly disease of sin that can doom them forever. Who are the people that Jesus will not save? It is those who will not recognize that they need to be saved. It's those who laugh at sin. Those who mock sin. Those who love sin. Those who enjoy sin. Those who refuse to acknowledge sin. Those are the people that Jesus Christ himself cannot save. How can we escape sin? Well, we must never see it as a harmless pastime. We must never see sin as just a bad habit. We must never evaluate it as merely an innocuous activity that doesn't hurt anybody else. We must never allow it to become merely an excused attitude that we harbor. Sin, in whatever form it is, is dangerous, destructive, and damning. You know, people used to realize this. It's hard for us, as enculturated as we are, to realize how much people used to recognize what I'm talking about today. Listen to the words of one person who wrote a couple of centuries ago in America. I confess my sin, my frequent sin, my willful sin. All my powers of body and soul are defiled. A fountain of pollution is deep within my nature. There are chambers of foul images within my being. I have gone from one odious room to another, walked into no man's land of dangerous imaginations, pried into the secrets of my fallen nature, 
I am utterly ashamed that I am what I am in myself. Can you imagine somebody saying that today? One Christian writer put it this way in a prayer. O Lord of all hypocrites, grant that I may not be an evangelical hypocrite who sins more safely because grace abounds, who tells his lusts that Christ's blood cleanses them, who reasons that God cannot cast him into hell for he is saved, who loves evangelical preaching, churches, Christians, but lives unholily. Of all the hypocrites, grant that I may not be an evangelical hypocrite. It is easy for us on an occasion like this to talk about the sins of America. To point outwardly to society and to those sins that are so prominent, flagrantly displayed, boasted about in parades, and to condemn those who are involved in these sins. But it's harder for us to look within, as did this person who wrote this prayer. And to see within our own hearts the hypocrisy that is there. How we have fun with sin. How we excuse sin. How we embrace sin. We have accommodated ourselves to its presence. We are a worldly people. We have compromised with this destructive, powerful principle that's active in the world and present in our own lives, our own bodies, called sin. What is needed today, above all else in America, is a people of God who are renewed in their hatred of sin. who hate it first of all in themselves, who are willing to see its stain within themselves, and who are willing to allow their hearts to be broken before God in repentance. That's what America needs. It needs a people of God who are first willing to confess their own sins. That we do sin, we must acknowledge, if we are honest people. The Scripture tells us that if we say we have no sins, we've deceived ourselves. The truth isn't in us. If we say we have no sin, it is there. What we must do is learn to repent of it. We must turn from it. We must cease harboring it and nurturing it and enjoying it and realizing what it is and what it results in. Turn from it. 
a little girl accepted Christ as her Savior and applied for membership in a local church. One of the old deacons was interviewing her for membership and said to her, Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? Yes, sir. Well, are you still a sinner? To tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Well, he said, then what change have you experienced? Well, she said, I don't know quite how to explain it, but I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. A very simple way she put it right. Our problem today is that we're not running as fast as we ought to be from sin. In some cases, we've actually slowed down and turned around. And today we need to come before God and recognize the seriousness of sin for ourselves, our families, and our nation. And repent of it. And be done with it. I invite you to bow with me in prayer. It's time to do business with God. If we would ask God to bless America, we must ask first that He bless us. If we would ask that God bring repentance to this nation, we must begin in our own hearts, acknowledging our sins, understanding its seriousness, turning from it. If you've not come to the Savior before, we invite you to do that today as an act of faith in your own heart to receive Him so that you might not have to experience the second death, which is the lake of fire, an eternal separation from God, the place where all unforgiven sinners will spend eternity. Someone must die because of your sins, you or the Savior on your behalf. Will you come to him today and trust him? Invite him into your life and your heart to live there, to reign there? Christian friend, if you have done that, what today would God be calling upon you to do? Have you been tolerating sin? It will surely bring you to ruin. Are you playing with sin? It's not a toy. Are you walking right as close to the line as you can without trying to step over it? You're going to trip and fall on your face. Sin is serious. Child of God, turn from your sin today. Let's come before our Heavenly Father with brokenness in our hearts. Father God, we thank you that in the quietness of moments like this, you do work inside of us by your Spirit. Sometimes it's uncomfortable and painful, as in a time when we talk about sin. Wherein we have been willing to live with it, to excuse it, to harbor it, we come before you with brokenness.
and repentance and sorrow deep within. Do a fresh work in us, Lord, giving us renewed hatred for it. Let us fear sin, Father, and run from it. Let us see it for all that it does in our world and what it provokes in you. Let us understand, Father, the consequences and experience afresh your mercy, your deliverance, and your power in our lives over it. Just as we wait upon God, I wonder if you'd like to respond personally to the Lord. I'm not going to have a come forward kind of invitation this morning, but I would invite you to stand where you are if your own heart is broken today and you're saying to God, do something fresh in my life. Give me a fresh hatred for sin, a love for holiness. I invite you to stand in dedication of yourself to God right now. Where you're seated, just stand to your feet before we close in prayer. Father, I pray that you will bless these who have stood in confession and brokenness and in sincere prayer before you. Some of us still haven't gotten it, Lord. Some of us still haven't gotten it. We need to. Work by your Spirit to bring about renewed holiness in your church and the lives of your people. May we be holy because you are holy. May we fear and hate sin and run from it and live in the light of your truth and holiness and power. For Jesus' sake we pray. I invite all of you to stand with me. I'd like to read a prayer from a Puritan, <clears throat> which will be our benediction this morning. Listen to these words that we offer to God through his pen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us a deeper repentance, a horror of sin, a dread of its approach. Help us quickly to flee it and jealously to resolve that our hearts shall be thine alone. Give us a deeper knowledge of thyself as Savior, Master, Lord, and King. Give us deeper power in private prayer. More sweetness in thy word. More steadfast grip on its truth. Give us deeper holiness in speech, in thought, in action. And let us not seek moral virtue apart from thee. For we have no master but thee, no law but thy will, no delight but thyself, no wealth but thou givest, no good but that thou blessest, no peace but that thou bestowest. We are nothing but that thou makest us. We have nothing but that we receive from thee. We can be nothing but that thy grace adorns us. Query us deep, Lord, and then fill us to overflowing 
with living water, pure and free. Amen.